Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS. In this episode, I do something that I only occasionally get to do in this space, and that's talk with colleagues. Justine Walker, Global Head of Sanctions and AML Risk at ACAMS, and Craig Tim, Senior AML Director at ACAMS, discuss the recently released ACAMS Global AFC Threats 2024, which identifies the top 10 threats that anti-financial crime professionals will face in the years ahead. I hope you find the podcast informative and that you'll subscribe to Financial Crime Matters, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. AI-driven, market-leading, Symphony AI is transforming the fight against financial crime. Integrate AML, KYC stroke CDD, sanctions and fraud into a single platform with enhanced co-pilot skills that improve productivity. And discover Sensor AI for sanctions, an augmentation reducing false positives while achieving 100% true positive retention in a recent POC. Trusted by a third of the top 100 banks worldwide, Symphony AI offers everything. AML to zero tolerance. Find harmony for your financial investigation teams with Symphony AI. Amid escalating regulatory demands and a surge in fraud, the need for financial institutions to remain compliant, efficient and informed is paramount. Thomson Reuters helps you meet these challenges with solutions that safeguard your business, maximize efficiency and shield your institution's reputation by engaging in business judiciously, monitoring threats continuously and investigating concerns strategically. Learn more about Thomson Reuters' unmatched data integrity, expertise and service at tr.com slash risk dash fraud. This is kind of old home week today. And uh, by that, I mean, I'm talking with my two colleagues, Justine Walker, Global Head of Sanctions and AML Risk at ACAMS, and Craig Tim, Senior AML Director at ACAMS. This is just a great pleasure for me, and not least because what we're going to talk about is the AFC threats report that has been done by the two of you and the whole thought leadership team. And just thank you for being here and talking about this. I think it's a fabulous, congratulations. It's a fabulous effort. And thank you for being here to talk about it. Thanks, Karen. Really excited to be here. Always good to speak to you. Yeah, great to be here. Just to lay the foundation, tell me a little bit about the survey. People always kind of want to know how many people took part, therefore how representative it is. But I know there's also some interesting stories that this involved getting input in various ways, roundtables, actual surveys and whatever. So I'm not sure who wants to start first, but tell me a little bit about what went into getting this to be the kind of authoritative report that it is. Thanks, Kieran. Look, I'll go first because, you know, the thought leadership team, and it was a whole team effort, and I really have to stress that, that we had this real vision that we wanted to capture the mood of industry and offer a real detailed view into the financial crime landscape and do that from a global perspective. What's important? Where in the world? What's keeping people awake at night? Where are the knowledge gaps? Where are the emerging threats? So, 
What we did was throughout 2023, we hosted a series of face-to-face senior level public-private roundtables. And we did this in China, the US, Europe, UAE, Australia. And in addition to that, so we had these senior level public-private sector roundtables. And these were all like, you know, what are the real big issues keeping you awake at night? Really giving their views. But what we also did was during September and early October, we issued a global survey. And this went out to across all of our membership, and we had just under 800 responses. And it did take a while to respond to the survey. So we're really grateful to those people who did respond. And, you know, the responses came from the US, 29%, Middle East, 6%, Asia, 22%. I mean, essentially, we got views from across the world. And we were also able, in their responses, to ascertain you know, what was their level of seniority? What type of institution did they work in? Were they public? Were they private sector? Were they first, second, third line of defense? So essentially what this enabled us to do was we combined both this qualitative and quantitative approach to produce what is the Global Threats Report. And we're pretty excited about the report. One of the things that may ruin the whole rest of our conversation, because we could wind off down different roads, but, you know, let's just start with sort of an overview. Are there some things that surprised you in the results that you got from people? I think a couple of things that surprised us. I think when you look at our top 10 threats, so that's how we sort of broke down the report. We've got a section on the top 10 threats and then a section with all the sort of supporting survey data. There are things that won't surprise people, right? Number one is budget cuts. That's a big issue and we can definitely get into that and how that affects everything else on the list. Geopolitical tensions. But then there were a couple that I think surprised me. One was the offensive use of technology by criminals. So here we're talking about AI, generative AI, malware. And it didn't surprise me that it came up. But when we looked at our survey data, over 90% of our respondents thought this was a very real risk over the next couple of years. And so the fact that it came up didn't surprise me. But the fact that, you know, I sort of thought of this as this is still a couple years off before it really hits. And that threat is based on the data we gathered. It's here today. The other one that jumps out is just the scale and pace of change. You know, wherever you go around the world, you hear a lot about that. But what our survey data shows really gives evidence to support what people are feeling. You know, it's not just AML, it's sanctions, it's crypto, it's data privacy, it's cyber. All of these changes layered on top of tech changes evolving criminal typologies, there's just really a lot on the plate of uh, AFC professionals these days. And our survey really provides evidence for that. It's interesting, the criminal use of technology, uh, the, the hacking of banks, the fake identities that are being created, the deep fakes, that was the second big threat. But it actually comes up then further down. And there's other ways that people allude to it, I think, throughout. It works its way into the talk about all the radical change that's happening, that this is one of the radical changes that's happening. So very interesting. I I don't know. Anything else that stood out? Maybe Justine? Yeah, I mean, I think we're probably going to get into some of the elements which really stood out for me were the geographical differences between the different types of threats and the typologies. And particularly when you start to look at things like terrorist financing, drugs trafficking, counterproliferation efforts, we saw real regional differences there. That was kind of like one of the really noticeable elements for me. And I think 
What also makes this so interesting is looking at what's the drivers for those elements. And you can look at many different drivers and you can kind of like make some assumptions around that. But those geographical regional variations, you know, stood out quite a lot. Interesting. And is there any uh, example that you can give of that where, I mean, uh, drug trafficking was more prominent in some or more of a concern in some areas? And I, I don't know what, and cyber enabled crime or how did that work out? Let me pull out a couple here, you know, proliferation financing. And the question we asked people was, to what extent are your anti-financial crime resources focused on proliferation financing? And really, at the top, we had Africa, and then we had Middle East, then we had Asia, then we had Europe. And then we had really down at the bottom of those which were very focused was the US, which was 11%. And that was in comparison to 43% in Africa. So that stood out. And actually, I have to say that really reflected findings from about four years ago of a similar survey we did. And I think we have a number of suspicions why that may be the case. The other one which really, well, the other two which really stood out was domestic extremism, terrorist financing. Again, we had those which were very focused on this were both Asia and Africa and the Middle East. Those three were really near each other as all being at the top. But right down at the bottom was 18% was the USA. You know, so that was kind of like surprising. Craig, I mean, I think that was something that really stood out to you, wasn't it? Yeah, for all the the talk constantly about how domestic extremism and terrorism is still a very top threat in the US. You know, to have it come in so low on our survey was surprising. And I think, you know, one thing that explains it a little bit, you know, our survey, as Justine mentioned, took place across September and October. And so the majority of our respondents came before the October 7th Hamas attack. So I think if you gave the survey today, I think it would change. But I think nevertheless, it was remarkable how far terrorist financing had fallen in the eyes of AML professionals relative to things like fraud and and other things. I think, you know, certainly it's back on the radar now. And it just shows how fluid the environment is and how quickly a threat can reemerge and go from down below to right at the very top again. Yeah. And drugs trafficking, Karen, the other one I would really call out was international drugs trafficking. Again, Middle East and Asia and Africa were right up at the top. And then sitting down, lower down was Oceania and the US. So again, there's a real discrepancy there from what we thought might be the case and what we actually, what results came back from the survey. But, you know, on the upside, we did see some areas where the US were more focused than many of their counterparts on. It is just gauging what is driving people's attention, where are they putting their resources? What were the areas for the U.S. that they were more engaged? Like, cyber, was it cyber-enabled crime was among them, or no? Is that everywhere? Yeah, that was everywhere. But definitely, the malicious use of generative AI was really up there as being a significant concern. You know, and I think the whole aspects around technology and the sort of national security considerations around technology, whether that be spyware, whether it be ransomware, whether it be malicious use of AI. All of these things seem to be much higher. Would that be fair from your perspective, Craig? Yeah, I think that's right. I think fraud was another one that was, you know, that's why cyber-enabled fraud specifically was three on our top 10 list because it was high everywhere. You know, you see some of these variations, but sometimes what's remarkable is the lack of variation where it is consistent across the world. You see people concerned about it. That's one of the things that helped get something up into the top 10 versus maybe sort of just off. 
There was also some differences, weren't there, between the first, second, and third lines from the respondents who represented each of those areas. That's always kind of curious to me, first of all, because I always have to keep straight the three lines, but it reflects where they sit. And is there any wise observation that you can make on that? You know, the one that jumped out to me there most amongst the three lines of defense was around the budget challenges and audit. So audit being the third line of defense here. Um, And audit was most concerned, uh, you know, everybody was concerned about budget cuts, but relatively audit was significantly more concerned about them. And in some ways it makes sense because, you know, if you're, you know, an institution looking for where to cut, you know, in some ways, audit is a first place to look because they're not actually executing the program. They're making sure that the program is doing well. Um, but on the flip side, that's a very dangerous place to cut at, you know, because they are the people who hopefully are finding things before the regulators do. Because if the regulators are finding too much on their own, you're going to find yourself with with regulatory findings, potentially enforcement actions. And so it, it, it factors into that broader budget threat that, you know, if you're cutting the people who are checking up on the program, you know, that just increases that potential risk a year or two from now. And that really gets to this whole issue about the number one threat was budget cuts and concerns about budget cuts. And you've touched on it. And I guess, as you point out, it's particularly uh, audit uh, areas where they were particularly sensitive. Of course, it is across the board. I don't know anything. Did that break down a little bit regionally and geographically too? Were there any things... Uh, I know you keep it confidential, you protect your sources, but were there any things that stood out to you that people said in roundtables without attributing to anybody that can put a little focus on that concern about budget cuts? Yeah, this was something where the quantitative and the qualitative really sort of drove together, right? You've got the survey results that talk about this being a big concern, and it was a big concern for everybody, you know, audit being the most, but first, second line, it was a big concern everywhere. But this was one where, you know, what made it number one is a couple of different things. One is just that it impacts everything else, right? Like if you're losing budget, that impacts your ability to address any of the other threats that we're talking about and ones we are talking about. But two were these behind the scenes discussions with executives and just the size of the potential cuts. You know, we heard AFC executives tell us that they've been told to cut 20% of their budget over the next year. That is a massive scale and sort of Along with that came the whispers of some of this feels a little bit like post-financial crisis. Now, the economic downturn is not nearly as bad, but what they meant by that was, you know, post-financial crisis, we saw, you know, a lot of cutbacks at banks, you know, not just in AML across the board, but in AML as well, in sanctions. And those led to, in many cases, cutting too far. And then years down the line, significant remediation efforts, big enforcement actions. And there's definitely a fear that we could be looking at this again, that if you don't navigate this challenge just right, uh, you cut too much, then, you know, there's got to be some institutions a couple of years from now that are going to pay the price for that. And I would also add that this top threat was about budget cuts, but it was also economic downturn. And I think that the overarching environment of economic downturn has created wider considerations, you know, whether it's a battle for deposits, whether it's fears around increased risk taking. And this certainly came up in our 
roundtables um, throughout the world where people were talking around just the changing profile of customer behavior because of the economic downturn and how they were potentially taking on more risk or pushing themselves harder in certain areas, you know, having to adjust their risk appetite because of the impact of, you know, the wider environment. And survey results, 89% of respondents believe that the economic downturn poses a moderate high or very high risk to their financial crime function. So it was really coming up everywhere through our discussions and the survey. I also get the feeling just anecdotally talking to people that this time around, uh, you know, when banks were doing across the board cuts, as you said, it would be like 20%. But then sometimes, you know, AML would get like, okay, you guys can just do 15% because we need your 10%. And I get that it's really they're not be, that AML is not being spared. It's facing cuts with at the same level of everybody else. Yeah, I would also say within that, there is maybe a bit more consideration around efficiencies as well. And are they saving, you know, efficiencies? You know, is there different ways to do things? Does technology offer certain types of different solutions? So I think the dialogue around this topic was actually quite varied in many different ways. Well, I think that leads to a question about AI and what came out about AI in this. And it seems to me like, you know, there really is some advance in AI that it wasn't, maybe it was or wasn't, but it didn't seem like it was as serious when we first started talking about AI five, 10 years ago, even. And now it's kind of become serious, but still, uh, you know, we can't really get rid of everybody. But so what comes out about AI in the survey? So that's definitely technology. We talked about the offensive use of technology. It's also 100% viewed as the potential solution for some of these challenges too, both in terms of fighting back against the criminals and in terms of uh, making your program more efficient while still being effective. ACAMS, we actually have a toolkit coming out for the Hollywood conference in April around this. So we, we asked these questions too. You're right on it, Kieran. Like we asked, okay, so how are you going to do this? And, you know, in the toolkit, we talk about some of the areas where there are quick wins. Um, and so those are investigations is a space where Dealing with alert volume and the human cost, the people cost of investigators is often one of the biggest challenges. And so there are both sort of quick win areas you can do with that. A lot of institutions are using not as high tech, but like robotic process information and, you know, just getting more information in front of the best investigators. So they spend less time searching. That's a big thing now. But then longer term, it's the use of machine learning. It's the use of AI. And the interesting thing that we've heard more this year than I recall is more and more every day, the technology is getting better. The technology is getting there. But for a lot of institutions, their data is still not ready. And so that's a big challenge, right? If you don't have your data ready, if it's not curated in the right way, if the quality isn't sufficiently high, you can't take advantage of the technology. And we all know that a data exercise to improve the quality of your data is expensive, it's timely. And so you know, that, again, is where these budget cuts fit in. Are you going to be able to make the investment up front in data and the technology to then later take advantage of that? I think that's a big question that a lot of institutions are wrestling with. I mean, it's the old garbage in, garbage out right now with data, I guess. We've always heard about, and it remains true. That, that leads me to ask about some of the regulatory themes. And I, I think probably there's some universal ones, like how you handle beneficial ownership and what kind of KYC requirements uh, are going to be faced by institutions wherever they're operating. But maybe you could talk a little bit about the regulatory themes. 
So I think one of the things what we would say on the regulatory themes was just the scale and pace of change um, just came out as really phenomenal across the board where people really expected real significant change. And we definitely saw if we were looking across um, sanctions, we were expecting real sort of change within jurisdiction. Europe really highlighted sanctions being the top one. Cybersecurity was Oceania. And AML regulation, we were also seeing Oceania followed by Africa, Asia. So, you know, just across the board, that scale and pace of change was really, really noticeable. Craig, do you want to pick up on some of the beneficial ownership aspects? Because you've really delved into that. Yes, it's really across programs. But then there are these very big aspects of change within even AML. You know, it's not one area of AML. It's multiple aspects. And, And beneficial ownership is one of those. It it made our list. It's not a new thing that criminals are abusing these corporate entities. And in some ways, it's a catch-all because any type of financial, any type of crime threat, they're using these entities, abusing these entities. But there's been a couple of things that have sort of brought renewed focus to it. Uh, One is Russia and the sanctions around Russia and Russia's abuse of legal entities to circumvent sanctions. So that certainly brought a lot of attention and a lot of drive within countries to improve beneficial ownership, to create registries, to make the registries more accurate. And then the the second driver there is is FATF. You know, FATF did a review on how well countries are doing on beneficial ownership about a year and a half ago now, and their findings were really you know countries around the world were doing quite terrible. Like no, very few were doing this well. Only about half of countries even had the right laws in place. And then of that, only 9% had effectively implemented them. And so because this cuts across all crime types, it's really such a key area that, you know, if we could get right, could really make a difference. And so for that reason, you know, as FATF starts their next round of mutual valuations, this is going to be a big focus. And you see countries right now really ramping up their efforts, making sure they've got the right laws in place. A number of countries around the world are creating these new beneficial ownership registries you know, those requirements filter down to the institutions and can require quite a lot of program change and operational changes and gathering more information from clients that can be quite a big undertaking. Uh, I know one of the other themes that came up was the internal threat for institutions. And I think it's always maybe because there's a certain drama to that and, you know, not to spread more paranoia in the world, that is always an interesting threat. And we've certainly been at conferences where I remember the Europe conferences came up as a rising threat that was happening uh, both at financial institutions and even places where there's booking or car rentals and whatever that are uh, operating insider ways to launder money and to steal money. So what, what did we have in the survey about the internal threat? I'm going to let Craig answer this, but one of the things I just really want to say is this was where we saw a real difference between the survey responses and what we heard from senior executives, both public and private sector. You know, we debated this an awful lot around should it be in the top 10 or shouldn't it be? But, you know, in the end, it went in the top 10. And I think we're feeling pretty pleased it did. But Craig, let me hand over to you on this one. Yeah, and it it was quite dramatic. You know, the qualitative, you know, hearing both law enforcement and financial crime executives saying, this is big. Uh, you know, and I had your reaction initially, Kira, really? Like this, isn't this, is this, you know, we've heard about this for a long time, right? Institutions, you know, have to have things in place. And really that was the the survey results were kind of like, meh, it's, you know, it is what it is. 
But the executives in law enforcement were like, no, this is a re-emerging threat. And, you know, I think a couple of things drive that. I think one, you know, the post-pandemic working from home, it's a new way people have to consider controls. You may never meet the person you're working with. Uh, and so in terms of being able to know who you're employing is a challenge. And so, you know, Justine's right. We, we really wrestled with this. You know, we decided, yes, our report should be the very top. But in some ways, it could also be a way to foreshadow for people things they're not thinking about. And since just in the last couple of weeks, I think, you know, it's starting to bear fruit. And this is sort of how it happens. Sometimes you hear things from law enforcement. And so they know what's happening behind the scenes. But then it takes a little while for it to come to light. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen, you know, the former president of MGM Grand charged, indicted with AML violations and helping a client circumvent. Uh, we saw a banker at TD Bank uh, working with drug traffickers, again, to circumvent controls. And then another Missouri banker who, you know, was this time somebody on the business side waiting until the, you know, the AML officer was on vacation and then moving in a bunch of clients. So, you know, and that's what, when we say threat from within, this is really what we're talking about. The criminals are actually working with internal employees to circumvent controls. And, you know, in some ways it makes some, some sense, right? As AML programs have gotten better, you know, it's not as easy for criminals to just, you know, circumvent poor controls. They've got to have an insider working with them to do this. And so it's a threat that with that made the list. And now I think we're starting to see some of these cases come to life. Well, I, I think that means that our core audience, they should not necessarily not take vacations, but we'll leave it at that. So kind of wrapping up, I've got a two-faceted question and I'll, do, I'll ask the first one first. What do you expect financial institutions, all of our members to do with the AFC threats that you've identified? Well, I think we want them to read it anyway. We want them to consider it. We want them to share it internally, whether it's briefing their colleagues, whether it's upwards briefing, downwards briefing, you know, to help them understand, do they sort of recognize this picture? Are they are they putting their resources somewhere different? And if they are, that's absolutely fine. This is a snapshot of, you know, what we were able to gauge. But it is really about helping people look at readiness, look at what's on the horizon, look at where their peer institutions are focused, you know, where their peers in general are focused and, you know, what should they maybe be thinking about? You know, as I say, we've highlighted some areas where we were surprised that there were not more greater focus. And what I would also say is for ourselves, we're also now looking at the threat report and designing a whole package of programming around this, whether it's on counter-terrorist financing and financial access, whether it's on cybercrime, you know, cyber-enabled fraud, whether it's on sanctions evasion. So we're also looking at this for ourselves internally. And, and, you know, Justine says, read it. It's so easy when you work in an institution to just be in your little bubble, right? You know, a lot of people in, in AFC don't engage that often with people outside of their program. And so it is really a nice way to understand, you know, the things you're seeing in your institution, how much are other people seeing those too? And I think Justine hit on it. No matter what level of institution within the institution I'm at, I'm thinking, how can I, how can I use this and share this? You know, so if I'm a junior employee, maybe it's making a, you know, a couple slide summary for an next team meeting. Share it with your boss. Say, hey, I went out and read this. I digested it. I think these are the really interesting aspects for us. Can we talk about this at the team meeting? Your boss will love that if you do that. And then higher up, you know, for your your executive committees, your boards, you know, they should hear this. 
And I think, you know, a way that you can use a report like this that many people may not is pushing back against some of these cuts, right? Or or raising the need. Why do I need that tech money? Well, here's why I need it, because the criminals are spending, right? You can use this report in almost an offensive you know, way to help AML officers and sanctions officers be in the balls of their feet in these discussions. You know, we're, we've heard, right, they're getting a lot of pressure, they're getting a lot of pushback, the cut. You know, this report can help you say, well, just wait a second. I want you to understand these very real threats that are out there. And I don't want us to be in a spot a couple of years from now where we're facing all these penalties. So I think there's a, a number of different ways that hopefully this report is helpful to those out there across the world. And I just want to hold your feet to the fire on this one point that we talked about. And I realize there may be a limit to what you can say. Uh, the toolkit was mentioned, and I guess that in part comes out of this, the AFC threats. Maybe not. I don't know. But um, is there anything that you can say about what people can expect from ACAMS uh, as we close in terms of these? And, and Justine, you talked broadly about this, but I was kind of wondering if we can give anybody a preview or something without giving away the secret sauce. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we've just put out a sanctions evasion toolkit that was considering what we were hearing from the report. We've really rejigged the whole masterclass global webinar program to pick up on these 10 key threats. So we're kind of like making sure we've got a response for each of those threats. We were in New York just earlier on this month talking with those in the counterterrorism field and humanitarian actors so that we can look at that issue in a more considered way. And there will be a package of work coming out, which we'll be sharing with people over the coming weeks in that space. So essentially what we've done is we've taken each of the 10 threats and making sure that we've got a response program in place for them. Well, let's uh, conclude on that note. Uh, thank you so much for going over uh, the AFC threats and for doing so in a way that I, I think I have a, a much greater understanding. I really appreciate it. Justine Walker, Global Head of Sanctions and AML Risk at ACAMS, and Craig Tim, Senior AML Director at ACAMS. Thank you, both of you, for being here, Craig and Justine. Thanks, Kieran. Real pleasure. Thanks, Kieran. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Justine and Craig. I hope you found the podcast compelling and that you will subscribe to Financial Crime Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because Financial Crime Matters to me and to you. See you next time.